Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about one very special movie this week um, with some friends. And also, dad is an energy, not a gender. Nice. Yeah, we're back for another daddy deep dive. Um, In the past, daddy deep dives have been filled with films that touch our hearts, tickle our minds, and have been very important to us at one time or another. This is a very special version of that. Because because some very cool friends of ours picked a movie that does that for them, and we brought them here to talk about it. So today with us, we have some really cool friends. It's Jake Belke and Daniel Furchoff. Hello, friends. Nice to see you. Hi. Hey. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. We're very excited to do this. So a little bit of who you two are. So Jake and I... We were just talking about this. We're kind of star-crossed friends that have weaved in and out of each other's lives for a very long time until finally it all coalesced and we worked together. We we were at a, at the same job for a while, and that's where the friendship blossomed, I would say. And I was thinking about it like that was like nine or ten years ago now. Oh. Um, and then Danielle, you're Jake's partner, wife. What do you go by? We usually just say partner. Yeah. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. Nice. But I think what's really nice is that even though this friendship started as Jake, you and I, I like that. I like to think that we've become friends. And now the four of us are really nice friends that have a nice time together. I like to say that when Danielle and I took over administrative duties of the friendship, the friendship became stronger. Yeah, even today. It's yeah. great. I'm grateful for it because it means that I get to see you guys a lot more because my silly ADHD brain can't make plans worth shit. But uh, give a little bit about who you guys are and what you do for a living and what makes you sweet. Jake, start with you. Uh, my name is Jake. Uh, I'm a brand designer. 
So yeah, me and Elliot went to design school together. Uh, Danielle also went to design school with us. That's where we met. Um, yeah, so I just work on brands for companies. I work for a tech company right now, but uh, yeah, that's my specialty. So cool. Danielle. I'm Danielle. I have a small business in Little Italy. It's called Violets. Uh, we sell homewares and clothing, so come through if you're around there. It's really cute. Highly recommend. Good stuff. I just bought something today. Yep, roll on perfume. Yeah, it's really good. So uh, if you've listened to a Daddy Deep Dive before, you know that these are the opportunities we take to deep dive into only one movie. So we're going to be talking about only one movie, and we're going to get spoilerific about it. So... If you haven't seen the movie we're talking about, you might want to dip out, watch it, and rejoin the conversation. But let's get into what we watched. So we watched the 1997 action crime sci-fi film, Face Slash Off, or Face Off. It was directed by John Woo and written by Mike Werb and Michael Caleri. And it stars John Travolta as Sean Archer, Nicolas Cage as Caster Troy, Joan Allen as Eve Archer, Alessandro Nivola as Pollux Troy, and Gina Gershon as Sasha. Synopsis. To foil a terrorist plot, an FBI agent assumes the identity of the criminal who murdered his son through facial transplant surgery. I want to stop for a second because the, <laughs> the way that the, the grammar works there, mm-hmm. I, I, it makes it sound like he killed his son <laughs> through, through facial, facial trans- transplant oh, surgery. surgery. <laughs> That'd be cool. Took his son's face. Um, <laughs> but the crook wakes up prematurely and vows revenge. I, I loved that so much. So I want to talk about our, our collective histories with the film. Kylie, you're easy. You've never seen Face Off before. No, and I, I feel like it's worth saying that I probably would never see Face Off if it weren't for you all. <laughs> Do you regret it? No. Okay, good. No, <laughs> but I would, unless Elliot picked it as a mystery pick or some people that I really like said, I would like to watch this with you. I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> so this was an adventure. It was great. Um, I watched it as a kid and I loved it. So it came out in 97. I think I was watching it around that time and I watched it on repeat because, you know, it, it was cool and it had cool gun scenes in it and the face stuff was was freaky, but I watched it quite a bit. <laughs> What's your guys' history with it? Is it collective or do you have separate histories with it? I think we saw it for the first time together, uh, I want to say a couple of years ago. Uh, we didn't have a lot of knowledge about it when we watched it for the first time. We kind of just dove in. Yeah, that feels right. I, I feel like I watched it when I was a kid, but I don't really remember too much about it. Like there were a bunch of movies like that at the time where they're like really funny um, action movies that I definitely took seriously at the time. And then I look back and I'm like, huh? So anyway. <laughs> That's kind of the biggest thing is, and we kind of talked about this after the movie, is as a kid watching it, yeah, I definitely took it very seriously. And like this was no nonsense. The stakes were high. There's no laughing about this. I mean, I on this watch, it was just fun. It was just a romp because it was t- it was difficult to take seriously. If I'm remembering correctly, it, this all came about the idea of the four of us watching Face Off together on Elliot's birthday when we were out for dinner. And I think I asked you, Danielle, what's your favorite movie? And you said Face Off. And I was like, really? And you, you said yes. And then I said, would you come on our podcast to talk about it? And you said yes. Yeah, I think that's what happened. Yeah. So why is Face Off your favorite movie? 
Um, it's it's up there. Like thinking back to that, I'm like, hmm, was that my favorite movie? I probably yeah. But um, it I I think it's really fun. I don't know that it's um my favorite favorite movie, but for this like type of genre, I guess, which I don't really know what to even call this. It's my favorite because it's just the perfect blend of humor, but questioning the humor. Like, is this supposed to be funny? Like, am I supposed to laugh? It's really good, but the worst at the same time. And I love stuff like that. Like, it's the same blend of, like, Con Air. Um, Any any of those, like, really funny slow-mo scenes, weird action, like, all of that. So, and it makes you feel good. There's Mm. there's nothing to lose. You're not sad. (laughs) You're just satisfied. That's great. Yeah. Just a couple weeks ago. I picked The Rock and Kylie hadn't seen The Rock before, but I feel I would put the I'd put The Rock kind of in that category of movies. What I'm hearing is if you put Nicolas Cage in a movie, <laughs> yeah. it's going to meet this criteria. I was reading today that uh, some people have crowned a holy trinity of Nicolas Cage movies and the three are this movie, Face Off, mm-hmm. Con Air and The Rock. Yep. And they all came out within two years of each other. And they've all got that like similar vibe of like funny but is it supposed to be funny mm-hmm. and like con air when i was little and i liked going to the video store and looking at cover art of the vhs's that were there con air was almost beat for beat the same as the rock it was like three guys three white guys in a <laughs> row in like explosion colors yeah explosion <laughs> colors and like a real real masculine font <laughs> <laughs> But this is like the type of movie the two of you tend to watch, right? We just found this out yesterday, not yesterday, the day we watched the movie, which was like a couple days ago, um, that you have this rating system when you watch movies. Yeah, it's really basic, but Jake, you should run through that really quick. Yeah. um, Yeah, when we watch movies, we are kind of just keeping track of them to keep track of them at this point, just for reference for ourselves and to share with whoever wants them. But we're not trying to really review the movies we watch we just have a scale of one to five and we uh rate movies based on fun and quality is our two um categories so this one i don't remember exact uh, rating on it but high on the fun scale (laughs) fives on the fun for sure and yeah i'll go into a little bit about how this started because we've been doing this for a couple years now during the pandemic, when uh, everything kind of shut down, we were spending a lot of time at home, not seeing anyone. Uh, so we kind of just needed something to fill the void a little bit. Like a, a lot of people started watching a lot more movies and TV at that time. Uh, and everything was just super depressing with the world. So it was nice to find these dumb movies to just turn your brain off and find just the little spots of joy in mm-hmm. these terrible movies. I think for me at least... When I was watching movies when I was uh, younger or just like younger adult, I was kind of in this more like pretentious frame of mind mm. for movies where I was only really watching movies that were like beautiful or important, yeah. like heavy and had like really important subject matter. And I think that was probably partially a product of design school, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> yeah. As uh, we know, it's they teach you how to critique other people's work. So that was like a real fun thing to do yeah. when I was younger. Um, but I was still like stupid. So I didn't like know what I was talking about, but I knew how to talk about it. You like 
you get the words in your head. So mm. that kind of leads to pretentiousness. And I feel like this pandemic happening and then us finding these movies kind of unraveled all that for me. And now we just, we seek out these kinds of movies all the time. And this is kind of the perfect one. That's really great. You touched on something that feels very true for me that I haven't really thought about <laughs> before. Cause I knew that that pretentiousness existed in me, like starting in high school when I started kind of discovering film. And then, yeah, it was in design school when you're around other arty fart people who love arty fart movies that, and then, yeah, you start learning how to critique things and how to dissect art. And then you kind of get hoity toity about it. And I, I feel like that was totally me. Like I'm seeking out like these art house films and then going to them with people that we can be like, oh, pff, that that was art. <laughs> <laughs> that was art. But yeah, like during the pandemic, I mean, we watched the Avengers movies multiple times because it was just comfort food at that point. And it was just like easy and fun. And then I feel like as we moved into doing the podcast, yeah, we're watching pr probably more art house stuff than I ever watched growing up. But that pretentiousness is gone like I feel like I we we're trying to encourage people to pick it up. But if it's not their jam, like, yeah, like we just watched the Goonies. Go watch the Goonies again because the Goonies can make you feel really good. But if you want to explore something more arty, I'm more excited to get people to watch more movies, whatever it is, than to pick a movie and talk down about it and present myself as smarter than somebody else that might even get more out of it than I do. But yeah, that's great. I really like how you put that because I relate to that a lot. This is great. I love that you've come up with your own rating system as well. That like you didn't go to like a letterbox or an IMDB or anything. You guys are just like, this is for us. This is our sliding scale. And we're going to keep track of it on a little like power or power or PowerPoint or like Google sheet or whatever. Yeah, spreadsheet. Spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, PowerPoint. Can you imagine before anybody watches a movie with you, you give them a demonstration. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past our buddy Ashley, who we went on a trip with, and the itinerary was a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> 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 Including, like, pins to all the different places we were going to go and how far away they were by train, walking, or Uber. Wow. It's yeah. really thorough and nice. It was really thorough. It was really good. Um, before we get into the first proper question, I want to preface this with saying that you guys also have a notes section in your reviews. And one of my first questions I ask whenever I watch any movie or video that Elliot wants to show me is how long is it? And I didn't expect this movie to be as long as it was. And as we were, you know, driving over to your house, I looked and I was like, two hours and 20 minutes. No way. Come on. <laughs> and then I, I said, it's really long. And you were like, oh, if Danielle, you said it flies by, flies by. And then you went into your notes from the last time you watched it. And it didn't say that you thought it flew by. No, it said way too long. It yeah. literally said way too long. I have it right here. It says way too long. Nothing makes sense. Very silly. <laughs> well, I take the second part back. It it made sense. Do you think it's too long? I think it could have been edited a little better, <laughs> but I would say everything came together. Beautiful. I feel, I feel like these movies, like in the movies we're talking about, like The Rock this something like even like Armageddon or something like that. I feel like when a movie like that came out in the nineties, they were like, this is our beefy blockbuster moment. Gotta so, get it to two hour plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are people are thirsty for a two hour plus Nicolas Cage. Romp. Not me. 
Well, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but like even in the deleted scenes, because we had that, uh, you know, luxury of watching deleted scenes. (laughs) But I was like, oh, this is going to be like way too long or whatever. And then the scenes were only like, what? Some of them were like five seconds. So we kind of liked them all. Yeah, we liked them all. (laughs) So they didn't even really like scale it back, did they? That I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that, that editor's job was just like, here's all the footage. Don't don't cut anything out if you can help it. Yeah, leave it in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, let's get into talking about the movie proper and talk about some of the things that we noticed. I've already kind of touched on something that was like kind of the first thing that I noticed, which was the tone in that, like I said, I took it so seriously as a kid and it felt like the stakes were so high and there's just like some stuff that you hold your breath because you're like, oh my God, is the daughter going to get killed? Is, are they, what's going to happen to the boy in the shootout? <laughs> well, the boy, I forgot about the boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like I said, now I, I think it's just like a really fun, silly romp and watching it with the two of you was even more fun. We've watched a lot of silly shit together. I really like watching silly shit with you guys. But did it have that takeaway here or is that is there still some of that seriousness? Like, do you still feel any weight in the movie or is it just fun? No, there's no weight anymore (laughs) for me. (laughs) This is like a pure comedy for me, but only in a way that this sort of movie can be comedic. Like, Mm -hmm. I find that everyone watching these sorts of movies, if they're enjoying them the same way that we do, everyone kind of laughs at different points. There's no like punchline where everyone laughs at once. Mm. Sometimes it happens, but everyone's kind of just like finding the point that the ridiculousness Mm. builds up enough that they laugh out loud. It kind of happens different depending on who you are. I feel like I was like, I love these movies and it's not serious like at all. I feel the same as Jake, Mm -hmm. but the weird part I think is like this one I dove into stuff for after watching it. And now I'll probably feel a bit different about it. Watching it again. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I'm interested to watch it again after doing this uh, podcast because it's interesting. Like I will never look anything up about a movie. Mm -hmm. And then before doing this, I was like, Oh, I want to listen to like some John Woo interviews and stuff. Mm -hmm. But now I kind of regret not listening to Nicolas Cage because I'm like, well, if he was in all those like, you know, similar movies and stuff, what does he have to say about it? Because John Woo said that he took a lot away from how the cast acts and stuff. And I thought, anyway, I'm not going to get into it right now, but I just thought that was, uh, that'll be interesting to revisit. Yeah, he mentioned that he wanted to integrate humor and action a little bit. (laughs) And I think that kind of made me sad because <laughs> I like when it's unintentionally humor driven by mm-hmm. how over the top it is. Do you think John Woo meant it to be more serious than we're taking it though? Yes, yes. I think so. I think there's a line there that he goes mm-hmm. back and forth across and now it might just be because of the age of the movie that it just mm-hmm. feels less serious than it probably did when it came out. Good point. Um, but yeah, I, I'm watching it from the funny side and he's going back and forth on the this is very cool and serious and then this is a little bit funny kind of dancing back and forth Mm -hmm. i'm relieved that you both see it that way because i was a little bit nervous specifically with you danielle with you saying that this was your favorite movie is that uh, were us the three of us taking the piss out of it and laughing throughout it 
were we like potentially hurting your feelings? <laughs> no, I wanted you guys to laugh more. I was like, laugh, let's go. Like, I don't let's know. I was, like, I was like waiting for the scenes to happen where I was like, okay, this is where I laugh. And I'd like look over at Kylie and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like just like. Did I laugh like, enough? Um, yeah, you laughed adequately. Adequately, <laughs> shit. It's a 60%. Well, I don't know. Maybe if we had surround sound, you know. It would be funny. You would have been in it, you know? Like, I don't know. If I it ever like, comes yeah, yeah. to Metro, we'll all go yeah. see it together. Yeah. Or maybe, like, sometimes Cineplex does, like, those throwback <laughs> nights. Or, like, you know what? For your next birthday, you should just rent the Cineplex theater and see if they can get face off. That would be fun. be fun. I, I mean, so thinking about this question, because this was my... Elliot, I think you and I had the same point, which is like, what's going on with the tone of this film? Mm-hmm. Is it cool? Because we also just, I heard some, Jake, you said like, you know, it used to be very like cool. Is it still cool? Is the movie cool? Is the movie cool? Or is it cool to like the movie? I think the answer to that is yes. But is the movie itself cool? Like in a The Matrix kind of way. It's not as cool as The Matrix. No. no. I don't think it is. Cool? Cool? Okay. It it was for sure. Like somebody's dad loves this movie. Yeah. Like this is peak cinema for somebody's dad. Mm-hmm. We were at Heritage Days and you saw that really amazing shirt. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yesterday we were out and there was someone walking past us and they had a t-shirt and it was like a, a full print of uh, Nicolas Cage's face and it said underneath John Travolta. Oh, that's really good. That's good. Yeah. And good timing. Very good. So I think it is cool. To a particular brand of <laughs> middle-aged men. Yeah. yeah. Like it when they were little. I think it's similar to us, maybe. Like. I think if you're going to buy a shirt like that, you're probably in the same camp as us. You're probably not like, this is so cool that I'm going to buy a funny shirt about it. The thing about this movie is, I really knew nothing about it other than like the faces swap. And even then I started, I was like, is, <laughs> is the other face going to swap? Like I was a little confused, but it starts with the death of a child. That's pretty <laughs> fucking serious. Like, but it's funny even then, like dead children aren't funny, <laughs> but it, I can't take it seriously. The dead child scene. I was, I was re- just like fun fact when I was reading up about it, apparently that was supposed to go in the middle of the film. Well, it did not. And they did a swoopy swap and put it at right at the beginning to like establish motives, which makes sense because like, I don't really want to watch John Travolta and his family for half the movie. Okay. But I have a bomb to drop that none of you might know. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's big. What is it? In the original script, original script, Castor and Sean were lovers. What? Castor wanted to kill Sean because Sean wouldn't come out about the fact that they were lovers. Whoa. Is that and why, then accidentally killed his son. Is that why Castor has a mustache in the beginning? What? <laughs> I don't understand. He does look really different. <laughs> Isn't that wild? I was wondering that. Like I have that was one of the things I was thinking about today before the podcast was like we don't have a motive of why why Castor is trying to kill Archer at the beginning. Like I get that they're they've been chasing each other for like whatever six years or whatever, but what 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 happened? Because I guess just like bad guys tried to kill good guys is like that as good as it 
was. I think that's as good as the film lets it be. But if you know that in retrospect, looking at it with like the fact that Sean and his wife don't seem to have had much of a sexual relationship for a long time. They seem pretty distant. And honestly, Sean Archer gives really like, I won't come out that I'm gay vibes. And Castor gives like, I'll have sex with anyone vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. also in the original script, Castor fathered that other boy when he had a threesome with the brother and sister. Mm. Which is also why they kiss in the movie. Incest throwback. <laughs> Incest throwback. <laughs> Love it. But all of that got cut. And here's where Paramount's super homophobic. They said that if Castor and Sean were lovers, they would be uh, that Sean would be an unsympathetic protagonist. And so they didn't want that in it. Uh. Yeah. Can you imagine if it was, though? I think that they should have gone with that because one of the things I said immediately was, well, why didn't he just take a second shot and kill him? I mean, the film would him. be over. But yeah, he would. you would be like, oh, he loves him. He can't kill him. Yeah. It would have worked better. Mm-hmm. And it would have been great, too, if that scene where they're like back to back and then they're like against the mirrors or whatever, if, they're, if the line was, let's just kiss each other. I just want to quit you. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, I feel like it wouldn't, like, that wouldn't have worked in 1997 the way it would work now. Like, people would love it and it would make it more camp. And and some people would hate it because they'd be like, those are straight guys playing gay characters and whatever. But yeah, I feel like in 97, it probably would have made this movie a big flop. Yeah. But it'd probably be cooler now. Yeah, look at this, like, gay action movie. So do you think... I'm trying to think of what that narrative would be. Like, would Sean still have been in the FBI? I think it's the exact same movie, but they were lovers. So it's kind of like Montague's Capulets. Like, they can't be together because it's like the good side of the law, wrong side of the law. But they love each other. But they can't be together, so... And one's closeted and one's not. Yeah. Do you think that's why there's so much um, Catholicism in it? Ooh. Like, none of... Didn't need to be there. It is strange. Well, and John, I was reading John Woo is very Catholic or very oh. religious, Christian or Catholic. Yeah. And he loves that imagery shit. Like he throws doves in all of his stuff. Yeah. There was a lot of doves. He loves it. There was like a thousand doves. <laughs> like if I went to a funeral and there was that many birds, you would get, not feel And nice. it was a small funeral too. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting shit on for too sure. Too many birds. That's too many. Too many birds. What are some things you guys noticed? What do you notice, Danielle? Okay, so um, like I was very interested in the humor versus seriousness of things. Uh, we kind of touched on that earlier, but I looked it up, and I have that John Woo says he loves to add humor, but the movie is very serious, which I had mentioned earlier um, when Kylie was asking about it, and I was like, yeah, this is serious. But I, that's anyway, I'm going to keep on saying this because it, it's it's wild. Like, I just still don't know which parts are serious and which aren't. But um, scenes that stand out for me that I wanted to note here that he did add humor to. And I was curious if you guys thought of, you know, this as well. Um, when Nicolas Cage is dancing around as a priest. Like, that's very obviously mm-hmm. humorous for John Woo and the cast and whoever. Mm-hmm. Maybe all the butt grabbing. Like, that's like a silly, like, 
oh, people will laugh at this. Oink, yoink. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, he does it so often in the movie. Like, I can think of three times off the top of my head. Um, and then when, like, Nicolas Cage, he's he's on drugs and he's, like, at that flop house thing. And he's, like, experiencing something with himself. And then Sasha comes, like, his baby mama and punches him right out. Mm-hmm. That was like a very like funny thing, I think, because it was like a very serious scene. And then it was like, boom. So I think those are like the John Woo humor things. Mm -hmm. But then I was trying to like think of all the things I thought were funny and trying to be like, were the did did he think that was funny? Anyway, that really um, I I really love that about this movie. (laughs) I also also thought it was funny when um, after they've face swapped um, and he's gotten Pollux out of prison and as John Caster as Sean Archer or John, John Travolta. And he's just like, I hate being in this body. I hate this ridiculous chin. I guess that was like a line that John Travolta added. So he's like taking the piss out of himself. Which is like, so I think there, yeah, I think there is intentional humor, like action movie humor sprinkled throughout. But the funniest bits are some of the stuff that's not meant to be funny. Like, Something that I, I I think I consistently laughed at was just the diving and the overall agility of our main men. Like they're always diving to the side and they're just, re- they just seem really good and agile compared to everyone else. Everyone else is very stationary, but these guys are always diving behind stuff and like popping up, popping back down. And I, I love, and like, they love firing like two pistols <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> while like jumping Double through guns. the air. I guess that's a John Woo signature shot is that he, he that's a go-to is just diving with two pistols. <laughs> but I love, cause I think another humorous, humorous moment of that was right at the very beginning where Castor Troy does that out of the plane and looks fr- really cool. And then Pollux tries to do it and he's immediately caught by the FBI. So it's just like, it takes a certain kind of person <laughs> To do it, and maybe that's why they, in another universe, they were gay lover, gay lovers, because they they're could, both so agile. They could <laughs> they could dive with two that's pistols like crazy. That's how they met. Hey, you can do that thing with the two Diving. guns. So can I. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds, Danielle, I liked what you said about where you see John Woo being intentionally humorous because it seems like it's more slapstick. Like he thinks these moments, and definitely the butt grabbing and the Catholic dancing. Read more sinister to me, but in the 97, it probably was haha. Yeah. Um, but to me, the funniest moments I think are absolutely meant to be serious. Like, I think one of the funniest moments is the first time we see his daughter when she like turns around so dramatically and she's got this like overdone eyelashes and it's like, what? Dad. <laughs> she's like glitter, like, yeah. I don't know, glistening. And yeah. And I think that's meant to be serious. Like, oh shit, his daughter's having such a hard time because her brother died. But it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like this over the top eye makeup that says, oh, his daughter's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. She's struggling. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, because yeah, that shot is like punched in so tight on her eyes and then pans out to reveal. Her full face. Which works so good as humor, but I don't think it's supposed to be humor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. And John Travolta is so funny when he's getting upset at his team. Like, they're like, 
okay, you better act like you're stressed out, man. You better act. <laughs> this is your one chance. And he's like, yeah, and just like explodes <laughs> out of his body. And like, I think John Woo was like, that was incredible acting. Like you really nailed it. But for me, I'm like, what the hell? This is my favorite <laughs> trivia I found, which is that John Woo was so impressed with John Travolta's acting <laughs> that he called him one take John. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. Particularly because one of John Woo's directorial techniques is to play soft, sad music when there's a sad, sincere scene. And John didn't even need the music. One take, John. (laughs) He could just do it. (laughs) So you're absolutely right, Danielle. He was very impressed with John Travolta's acting. And maybe could have gotten more out of him if they did a couple more takes. (laughs) They needed the takes. One take, John. (laughs) But I'm I'm happy he went for it. That's really good. Know that that's great. I think we should all call him one take John from now on. Big time. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Jake? What do you notice? Um, I think the one thing I noticed this watch around was this is also like a John Wooey thing. Um, but it's very like maximalist in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Like there's nothing very subtle going on. Like there are things that are more stated than other things, but like we were talking about he doesn't just add a bird into a scene. He adds like a hundred birds and I can't believe we haven't talked about the face touching yet, but like the the face feeling face touching, whatever we're going to call it. They don't just do that once or twice. They do it like 11 times or something way over the top. There's mirror scenes Mm. all over the place. Like that's a motif that's very intentional and it happens a lot. Like every (laughs) 25 minutes, probably there's one of those. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think in a lot of other movies, that would be uh, a strike against it, having that sort of like subtlety not being played very well. But I think in this movie, it adds to why it's so awesome. Um, I have a a quote that I found because I was trying to figure out what the reception of this movie was at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at some uh, movie reviewer stuff and I thought this was a pretty good one. It says, uh, this is from someone named Barbara Schulgosser of the San Francisco Examiner, called this movie idiotic and argued that (laughs) Wu is clearly an imaginative man and there is no doubt that he can concoct six ways to do any given piece of business. (laughs) A good director would choose the best of the six ways to put it in his movies. Wu puts all six in. (laughs) If you keep your eyes closed during a Wu movie and open them every six minutes, you'll see everything you need to know to have a perfectly lovely evening at the cinema. And I feel like she's saying that as a criticism, Mm -hmm. but I find that that's like a perfect way to wrap up why this movie is so awesome and unique. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's also kind of where I find the humor in it because it very much strikes me as they were on set or they would read stuff in the script and they would find something clever or they'd find something that they thought was really cool or be like, oh man, if we capture that, that would be so great. And there's just so many of those moments where you could tell they were like, they're going to love this mirror scene or they're going to, or they're going <laughs> to, this is really cool guys. <laughs> yeah. Or they're going to love like when John Travolta walks in, all the doves fly by, mm-hmm. like that's going to be sick as hell. Like you can just, you can hear those conversations happening and then, you know, somebody's like, do it. <laughs> and they did it. <laughs> but I think like something that works to its benefit with that is that, all of the practical effects in this are really awesome. Like there's not a lot of CGI stuff. They had the 
the bodies that they face swap were animatronics. So like they had them breathing and they had them moving and that like that was really cool. The whole airport scene at the beginning, there's a lot of like sparks flying everywhere across this whole movie too. And all the explosions, it's, it's like all the explosions happened in a fireworks facility. It's really crazy. But I think that that sort of, let's just throw everything out there and do everything just lends itself to, yeah, something that's really fun. And as a movie goer, especially a movie goer in 1997, when this is like the big blockbuster that's coming out, it's worth going to the theater to just have some fun. I like that. I like that review a lot. And that was really good. <laughs> I mean, even the concept of the movie itself, if you try, I feel like if you try and do this movie, same concept, but like subtle and actually serious, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Because I mean, we were all laughing the whole time about like, really, this doctor can make you look identical like, <laughs> and, then, and then change you back. All right. Like you just have to, this movie is saying like, you're just going to suspend your disbelief even when you know you can't. Like we're all just going to agree that we know it's not real and yeah. just go with it. Yeah. It, because when you start asking the real, like when we were watching it and they're like, okay, this doctor can do this face swapping stuff and there's only three people in the world that know about this. But then at the end they're like, oh, we'll just fly in the DC <laughs> team to take care of this and do the swappy swap. It's like, there was a DC team that knew how to do this? Like, we could be doing this all along. Why didn't he just face swap his dead son's face onto. <laughs> Oops, sorry. That was six years ago. They didn't have the technology. Shit, right. He finds another way to do that, essentially. <laughs> no. We'll get into that later. It's a good point. Um, so, something I noticed that's really kind of strange, but I dug into it and it was an actual thing is that when. Archer, who is now Nicolas Cage, is in prison and there's a whole escape scene that's happening and everything's like getting fired up. Um, there was this case or like a cabinet that was there, a steel cabinet, and it had the engine logo on it, which is the company in Jurassic Park that made the dinosaurs. And it's the exact same logo. This doesn't translate well to a podcast, but <laughs> it's oh, it's like. The same company, which the most exciting part about that to me is that face-off is set in the same universe as Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know what that means. <laughs> Crossover potential, baby. Yeah, swap the face with the T-Rex. And do we all know that there is a face-off 2 in production right now with the same cast? No. Oh, I didn't know it was the same cast. They're going to swap faces again. You know what? I should probably double-check that, but I thought it was John Travolta and Nicolas Cage again. Different director, actually director of You're Next, mm. which we just watched. Yeah. Wow. So there's a potential to start dinosaur face-off crossover. If they go to an island where people just face-off. <laughs> They just swap faces and nobody, nobody is who they say they are. <laughs> Danielle, your face is a... I'm going to watch, but I'm skeptical. You're skeptical. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't excite me as much as it should. The sequel? Yeah. I just think that it's kind of like a perfect movie. So what are you doing? I mean, what? writer strike, actor strike is probably not going to happen. You've, yeah. There's something special about John Woo, though. Like he was also saying that um, I was watching a Times um, interview with him today and he said that Americans didn't really understand the humor that he was bringing to things 
And so he had to switch a lot of stuff. And before he would do like lots of slow-mo stuff and it just didn't translate well and people didn't understand it. But he kept like from his first movie up to like face off and stuff, he, which I don't actually know how many took place before then, which would be interesting. But he was saying that he um, really wanted like Americans to understand the way he wanted things to go. So I don't know. It's like how much of when you lose the John Woo wow, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what are you left with? It's a good point. And Jake, are you the only one who's seen more than one John Woo movie? We've seen. You've seen them one three, together. Yeah, yeah. Danielle and I. And do you find all of them to be pretty fun and special? Have we seen more than one other one? I can only think of Broken Arrow that we've seen. Uh, we watched it together. I feel like I talked to Scott about this, our writer friend. Nice. Plug his movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Broken Arrow. But it is similar. Like, it's really similar. It's very similar. So, and it that was an American. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've seen Mission Impossible 2. Right. Oh, yes, I have seen that. I Which, have a DVD in my house. We're going to watch it right away here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it does like that is also rife with wooisms that like there's doves there too. And there's slow motion. The doves. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's at some point Tom Cruise is wielding two pistols and is jumping <laughs> and firing them at the same time. You know what I think is the genuinely funniest part of the movie to me is Nicolas Cage's little like special box of stuff with like chiclets in it. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I, I think that's so funny. I like that as a kid. I like that he always had chiclets. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we both were really into the chiclets. Like, it's got a special double guns and other stuff. Drugs. Yeah. The drugs. Pills. Yeah. Bad guy stuff. And they just like <laughs> had it. Bad yeah. guy stuff plus chiclets. Yeah. Starter kit. And they've always got it for him. Yeah. It was ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. The pistols seen at this time. I don't know if, if you guys have seen it, but the pistols play a big role in unbearable weight of massive talent the the new Nicolas Cage movie with Pedro Pascal where it's just taking the piss out of the actor Nick Cage but he he I think he wields those pistols once more <laughs> in that movie I think you both really like that movie yeah it's real good um add it to the glonky yeah I'll put it on the list <laughs> oh I have a question for Kylie mm-hmm. yeah um so okay like you were mentioning a while ago that you don't like a lot of gun scenes and stuff. Um, And I was curious to think what, or curious about what you thought about this. Um, Lots of guns. Yes. But I have down that like they never needed reloading. They (laughs) missed a ton of people. Very comical. Like how how did you feel while watching this? It's a good question. I think it's really interesting to sit here with you three who all literally went to design school together and are all clearly visual people. And then I'm over here being like, I'm an English teacher. <laughs> I do teach film studies, but you know. Um, I do find when I watch movies like this, and I would include this in it, I kind of zone out in those scenes. Like I just, I get bored. I'm like, okay, more shoot, shoot, shoot. Explosion, explosion, explosion. Um, as opposed to something like a John Wick where there's like a sense of choreography to it and it's like interesting to watch from a like dance almost perspective in these I'm so like they're just shooting and I don't even know who all these ladies in the like 
brother sister house are. I don't know who all these people are. <laughs> and I'm sure you all noticed I had to probably annoyingly stop you guys multiple times and be like, wait, what's the guy's name again? Or like, who is that person? <laughs> and it's something that I struggle with in action movies in general is that it's built for people who are visual people that you'll like pick up on who that face is right away. And you'll be able to figure out who all of these different people in the explosion scene are. And I'm like, they all look the same to me. Mm. So I wouldn't say when I watched John wick over this past year and like actually really liked it, I was so surprised. This didn't change my mind on action movies at all. The action scenes I could really do with. That's interesting. I liked when we get like a harpoon in there. (laughs) (laughs) And some like rebar and we're like, like as soon as it gets more like one-on-one or like you throw somewhere over the rainbow on it. Yeah. (laughs) Then, and it makes a little bit more interesting, but kind of these consistently similar scenes of guns and explosions. I found were pretty boring. You like it when it's a little bit tighter. Uh, an example being the car chase scene in the Barbie movie. Yeah, I think the car chase scene in the Barbie movie is the perfect length car chase scene. Okay, yeah, I can, which is like two minutes. Can you get behind that? <laughs> do you get so to put that question back on you all? What do you like about those scenes? I think for me, it's that like maximalism is so present in those scenes mm. because, like we were saying, you could be subtle with it. You could have a, a quick like this is resolving a plot point or like this is an important part and it's leading to the next thing, but dwelling on it for so long and having like 6,000 rounds fired in a scene instead of like eight is that's part of the just like spread it on thick sort of a mentality of this movie. I, I know what you mean, how that could get boring, I think in other movies, but for me, I think it's kind of just a feature, not a bug on this one. Mm. I'd say there's other movies where I've like, been like I'm I, like Mission Impossible one. I hated. I would never watch that again. I would watch this movie again. Interesting. I wonder how you'd feel about Mission Impossible two, which is <laughs> more like this. Uh, that sounds like a threat. <laughs> I love the like scattered, psych, like just psychoness <laughs> of everything. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like, yeah, maximalist, like you said, Jake, and it was just. You know, someone's diving in that corner. Someone's got two machine guns in that corner and they're shooting them anywhere. Like, they're not even looking and it's hitting no one. (laughs) And it's so chaotic that my mind is like, whoa, like the whole time. I just love it. I don't know why. Super stimulation. Yeah, lots of stimulation. None of it makes sense. So I, a lot of times I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. I don't have time to process Mm. that it doesn't make sense. (laughs) I just like it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't know. In those scenes are like you three who, who like these types of scenes. Are you even trying to follow what's happening or are you just like giving yourself over to the spectacle of it? I I'm think, not following. I think I'm following. Yeah, I think maybe. <laughs> Jake's following. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe because I, I do like scenes like this, mm-hmm. maybe I'm kind of letting the, the over aggressiveness, the overstimulation stuff isn't what I'm focusing on as much. You can kind of see more of like when they show an important person shooting an important person, it it stands out more from just like a a crony shooting a a crony sort of a, there's a distinction there. It's like the, um, like you were saying, when it's more like one-on-one or like choreography based, there is like more of a focus on what is important in that scene and this there, there isn't. So there's just, there is a lot more going on, but 
I think that the way that they are showing it is more about this is a, a grand sort of like this is an important scene because there's so much going on mm. instead of like this is an important part of this movie because we're watching this one person and this other person have this conflict, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's such a good question that you've asked because I've never thought about this. And I feel like it's, I, f- I feel like what the two of you are talking about is probably what it is. Like it's just, tur- you can just turn off your brain and just kind of let it wash over you. And it that feels really good. Like it feels good to not have something so heady or wrapped up in symbolism or anything like that. And then you can just watch planes exploding and guys never run out of ammo diving (laughs) shooting at each other and yeah it's just it's just fun and like there can be intent in in it and and like john wick does that really well like usually if he's fighting or in a battle or something there's a reason for it there's an there's intention behind it in face off it feels like a little bit more of just like oh we just happen to be in the same place at the same time so we're just gonna blast at each other get those double guns out yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's um, kind of a break from the plot while it's developing instead of it, every piece of dialogue that happens throughout is something you need to pay attention to. It's kind of like a an exhale and you just get the visuals. Well, it seems like you all trust yourselves to be able to pick up on the visual moments that matter to pay attention to. Like Jake, you just said, like, you, you know, as soon as it like tightens up the shot or like starts to focus on like Sean or Caster that now it matters to the plot. And I think I don't, follow visual stuff very well. And so I start to get frustrated about like, am I supposed to be paying attention to that person? Who is that person? What's going on? Instead of just trusting that when it matters, I'll pick up on it. Well, how do you feel when there's like a Jackie Chan movie and there's all the people lined up to get ready to fight, but they only showcase like the one-on-one? Because for me, I'm always like, what the hell are you doing? Just jump him. <laughs> you know, my, my brain is like, yeah. there's like 10 of you just do it. <laughs> so I'm constantly distracted, but you, you enjoy that. Yeah. I feel like me and you like complete opposite. Yeah. Things. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, when you've watched movies and you're like other movies together and you're like, that makes no sense. You <laughs> want it to not make any sense. So you don't have to worry about it making sense. Yeah. And I'm like, I want, I want it as minimalist as slow, as sad. There's no fun meter on my list. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a grief meter. Because <laughs> like something, I would say a sequence that is that, but also kind of maximalist is the Crazy 88s. Yes, battle and I love that in the, scene. In Kill Bill Volume 1. But it is kind of, um, I feel like there, there's way more like other cues that aren't just visual. Like there's the, like the score is cueing you. There's nothing much going on with score in this movie, let's be honest, right? And I am more musically inclined than visually inclined. And there's like really intentional dialogue between characters. There's not much going on with dialogue. Die! You know? (laughs) (laughs) You did mention they yell dialogue. They yell dialogue. (laughs) I think this is such a cruel thing to do to this movie and to all of us. But I think a movie that has actually a really similar plot to this that I'm I've enjoyed more not on a fun level like this for sure is more fun but on a like as a film level is minority report mm-hmm. 
It sounds familiar. Like Tom Cruise's son was taken. And so there's this like son stuff going on. Um, Yeah. And it it amps the sci-fi and lowers the action, I think, a little bit. Mm. And I'm more of a sci-fi guy than an action guy. Yeah, that one's definitely got some more like cerebral stuff going on. And you, you have to pay attention to what people are saying at any given moment in this one. Like that review said, you could close your eyes <laughs> close and open them every six minutes and <laughs> you'd, you'd okay. have a great time. Yeah. 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 Like, I think for me, a movie like Minority Port is like that perfect blend that I like. Like, I like some good storytelling and some emotional heft along with some really great action. But as an action movie fan, I love shit like Face Off. That's just so simple. Like, it's just eye candy. And the story, like the plot is so simple. And like, of course, this there is a better version of Face Off in terms of plot and characters and maybe less face touching. (laughs) But (laughs) that's my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like I'm glad that we can have that. I'm glad we can have the Face Offs and I'm glad we can have the Minority Reports. And like I do, I do, I can get on board with a movie like this because it can just be fun and we can kind of like laugh at it and make fun of it together. Um, more than a mission impossible, which I think is taking itself pretty seriously. Yeah. And I'm just like, I am so bored. I don't care about your spy mission. I just don't. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas in this, I'm like, I do care that you swapped faces. This is fun. (laughs) I don't really care that your son is dead, but I do care about the face swapping. I will say though, I think not to get on a tangent, but (laughs) the first mission impossible does take itself really seriously. But by the like fifth one, like, Henry Cavill like cocks his arms at yeah, one but point. You're trying to get me into this with the first one and you failed. Yeah. Now, but now we're going, we could go to Wu Town <laughs> for Mission Impossible 2. I guess if we all watched it together, I'd watch it. I think it should happen. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Well, Kylie, I just want to say that I'll bring <laughs> this back to John Wick because I love, you know, the first John Wick so much. Yes. Um, oh, I think I know what you're going to say. Well, I just wanted to say that uh, John Woo, I literally wrote this quote down. He said, I just love action and I love dancing as well. <laughs> when <laughs> I'm making an action sequence, I just feel like I'm making a dance scene. I so, didn't feel that. <laughs> yeah, you, you said the opposite. You said it wasn't. What dance. I thought you were going to say is that me and you, our favorite John Wick films are opposite of each other. They are. They are. Like, you did not like four, and I loved it. I had a lot of gripes with four. But you, you both disliked three, so you're on board with that. Is that the one with the sand? <laughs> yeah. Three, three is, is in the desert? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I didn't like that three's one. Not, three, three crawls up its butt a little bit, but two is very good. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But one. Do you guys think he's dancing in this? I think he's directing it in a way that he's like, this is a beautiful dance between people. I mean, there it is a dance between people. This is true. But I don't he, think it comes across that way. I think I agree with you, Kylie. <laughs> he did dance when he was putting the bomb out. There was dance. This is true. Mm-hmm. I think he literally made them dance a few times. Like even the priest scene in the beginning. Then when he's putting the bomb out. It's always Nicolas Cage. <laughs> John Travolta kind of dances when he disarms the bomb. He like takes off yeah, his yeah. jacket. As Nicolas like, Cage. And he's doing like, Correct. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. I should say, I don't even. Caster <laughs> He's the dancer of the yeah, couple. Yeah, he's the dancer. Which I is, do. Which is, I'm just going to say, that's really funny because John Travolta 
is kind of known <laughs> as the dancer totally. in Hollywood for a long time. Yeah. I think John was trying to do some really like fancy, smart stuff. Like I was started reading about it and then I was like, don't care that like their names are all references to Greek mythology <laughs> and like Castor and Pollux are brothers or some shit in Greek mythology. And I was, and, and then there's some shit about their like, it means something related to astrology. And I was like, nah, no, no. That's too serious. It is way too serious. But like that, that to me is not like a John Woo thing. That's like the two. Oh, the script writers. Probably like the two white pee pee guys that wrote this. Like they probably, they probably love that shit. Yeah. Cause Castor and Pollux are like brothers, but like it's two different sperms in the same lady. Elliot knows about Castor and Pollux. Whoa. Yeah. It's like. I didn't. I was like, I'm not reading about it. What's her name? There's like Lita. Lita. So like, I think Castor is somebody else's kid and then Pollux was Zeus after Zeus raped Lita as a swan. Yeah, that's true. Um he raped a swan. Zeus was often raping gods and goddesses when they were disguising themselves as animals to try to avoid Zeus's advances. And then they would like have these strange babies. Was he into bestiality or just I think Zeus was into bestiality. Yeah, Zeus was a sick fuck. Did he know about Oh, I think um, he knew who they were. You're asking some tough questions here. <laughs> this is why I stopped teaching Greek mythology in grade 10. At the end of the day, I think it was just like two white guys that thought that was fucking sick as hell. Greek mythology! And that's what we're going to name our bad guys. Um, I don't have a lot to say about Pollux, except that... <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing? His like voice, the way he was speaking... I- it was so creepy, and I know Kylie, you mentioned that you were like, "I hate the way he talks," and but in a like, I liked it kind of way. It was like he should have been in like Criminal Minds. Yes, like yeah. he mm. was that character that was like, pinky. "Yeah, bye, bro." You <laughs> <laughs> really sounded like him. Yeah. That was really good, but like, ugh. it was a, it was so odd. He was pretty good at it. I think this is another instance. Again, I was reading about this and then I was like, don't care. Um, so, I, so I read something and then skipped over it about that actor. So Alessandro Nivola came up with the voice and I think he thought that was really cool. Like, like I'm getting a lot of this, like, I got an idea, you guys. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And the whole, like, there were so many Chekhov's, Chekhov's bro, Chekhov's face touching. Like, so many, like, we know somebody's going to figure it out. Because they made a point of being like, I don't like being called bro. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when you call me bro. What's up, bro? Um, anybody else have other things they notice? The only other thing for me was when we were del- delving into the deleted scenes, we watched the alternate ending. And <laughs> it is nuts. Because it just picks up right where the real movie ends. And then, so I, I understand the intention is to pay off the last line from Castor Troy, which is whenever you look in the mirror, you're going to see my face. And at the end, the, in the, in the alternate ending, John Travolta, who is now Sean Archer again, is looking in the mirror in his bathroom and he, he's looking at himself. He looks down, camera goes down with him and it comes back up and it's Nicholas Cage's reflection. He sees, but his wife screams <laughs> And and see, I don't know what she saw. <laughs> yeah, she saw. He, 
So I don't know if she saw Nicolas Cage or like she didn't know Sean was in the bathroom <laughs> and just kind of startled her. But then they embrace and it freezes on that for a long time. <laughs> and it freeze frames while they're embracing on Sean Archer's face and he has like a cheeky Castor Troy esque grin. I don't know what that's supposed to say. So I love that alternate ending for a different movie. Like if David Lynch made face off, that's the appropriate ending. Yeah. But it is not an appropriate ending for John Woo's movie. It's totally way off from yeah, everything test audiences else. thought it was too ambiguous so they cut it i think there's something that i didn't pick up the first time that i think that alternate ending kind of touches on is that while while sean archer is in the appearance of castor troy he starts to kind of like become him mm. at points um <laughs> in that scene where he does ambiguous drug um, and then starts acting kooky. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think they're trying to say that part of what that drug is doing to him is it like sort of breaking down that divide between the two of them internally for him. And that's yeah. when he's like squirming around because I guess that's a drug thing. And he's like, everything's like blurry. And then he looks up and sees his own reflection, which is Castro Troy's face because that's the face he has at the time. And then he like points his gun at it. And it's this very like, who am I? And then that's when he starts screaming at the mirror. I am me. And I'm not me. Also, I am me. <laughs> and I think he yells die in that scene at that point, too, right before he gets punched out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there's a little bit more interplay that probably um, John, we wanted to have in the movie about this, like he's played him for so long or like he's been studying him for years and now he's literally becoming him and now he like can't go back internally either. And I think maybe that deleted scene was that sort of like that thing that cool movies try to do where they're like, it's all over, but is it? And and then they like cut to credits. Yeah. That sort of a thing. I, I really like that idea of a film that explores that, but this film doesn't. (laughs) like I think that's a really interesting concept of like you're these complete opposite people you're Joker Batman right but if Batman face swapped with Joker would he become Joker to an extent that he can't ever undo which is interesting but not what this film is concerned with it's probably why they cut that because they were like we didn't go hard enough and people are going to get weirded out it's a weird thing for me then when they release those things yeah (laughs) like why show us Cause I, uh, so you knew we had the potential to be smart. Well, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking of, I'm, I'm trying to kind of devil's advocate a little bit, even though I hate doing that, but like, wow. just your think, white man is uh, coming out. Here. I know, I know, I know. But like, just thinking about <laughs> the fact that John Travolta, his character of Sean Archer has very clearly not dealt with his grief of losing his son and has become obsessed with this man that killed him and hasn't dealt with it himself hasn't dealt with it within the context of his family. So then actually becoming him and having to go to prison, then having to integrate into his like crony bank of, of pals. And then, yeah, he has to do drugs and like use his weapons. And like, I can see how there could be like a psychological break. Every time you look in the mirror, you're seeing the man that killed your son and that you've been obsessed, obsessed with for years. I can, I can, I can get that, but yeah, they just didn't go deep enough on it. Yeah, for that to be a 
an ending that lands. Yeah. They mm-hmm. made a good choice. I think they really have. Yeah, I agree. That just reminded me of how in and out he would get, like, <laughs> Nicolas Cage. He would be, like, laughing and then crying and then <laughs> laughing and crying, like, especially when he's beating that guy in jail, like, with the tray. And he's like, uh, <laughs> and, like, just, like, kind of losing it. And it's like, okay, okay. Like, they really make him play it up. Like, I think Nicolas Cage does manic really, really well. <laughs> But in the in this film, I feel like John Travolta plays Nicolas Cage better than Nicolas Cage plays John Travolta. Yeah, but you, the guys, they took a two week hangout <laughs> before the film started, so they could learn each other's mannerisms. Okay. Did they? <laughs> I think they took the trip. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like they just took a trip and like drank a whole bunch, and then came back and like, oh yeah, yeah, I know him. I will say this movie's like kind of trippy in the sense of. <laughs> I would have to be like, who is that? But maybe that's just me. I'm bad at action movies. <laughs> I'm like, wait, is that the good guy or the bad guy with the bad guy's face? Good guy with the bad guy's face. That's what they should have called it. The good guy with the bad guy's face. <laughs> I think that might be a, a second watch thing too, is the first time you watch, you're really focused on who is what, like mm. who is who at the time. And then for me, the second time I watched it, that was very... Uh, just kind of like woven into it so I didn't pay attention to that as much I noticed that the second time around is I was doing that the first time around as well I was like trying to remind myself who's a good bad guy and who's a bad good guy Mm -hmm. and all that and like he's saying this because of what motivation and then you kind of have to like go back a little bit to understand yeah but also it's kind of all over the place so that doesn't help either (laughs) yes okay Let's move into the things that stuck with us um, or struck us on this particular viewing. Uh, I think we've buried the, the lead long enough. I want to talk about the hand stuff. Face hand stuff? It On the internet, there's, there's a couple names for it. <laughs> My, John Woo called it the love touch. So it's like Ooh. it's the way that the, fan, the Archer family says I love you. I liked this more, the face waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I would fucking hate if this is how the person I love. If you did this, if this was the way I've that you I've been said, doing it to you. Then we'd be doing it to each other. <laughs> Before a laugh. But like if <laughs> the way that like it's so earnestly done and I don't think it's meant for a laugh. Like I think that this is very much. John Wu thought it was a love touch. Yeah. No. Like this is how the Archer family does it. Drive, very loving. Would drive me nuts. And I'm so curious. We kind of talked about this immediately after we watched it, but like, where did it start? It feels because of the whole John Travolta, Adele Dazeem of it all. If I feel like John Travolta would have started the face touching. Like you don't think it was originally in the script. We got to have some cool way that they show each other. They love each other that no one else does. Sorry. I, I meant Sean Archer started. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were just doing a brainstorm and John Travolta's like, what about this? No, I, I think that Sean Archer, I feel like it's like a fa- an Archer family thing that his whole family does. And then he brought it to his family. And then they're like, I guess we're doing this. Yeah. So he's never said I love you to his wife or kids. He's mm-hmm. just done the face waterfall. I liked it. You, you like the face touching? Yep. <laughs> it was very distracting. Distracting? Yeah. Disturbing? 
Yeah, it kind of like takes you out of whatever happens right after that because you're so confused the first time you see it for sure because it's during one of those like plinky plunky music like this is a really heartfelt thing mm-hmm. and then he does that i think he he does it in the opening scene to his yes, kid on the and then his kid dies <laughs> yeah so maybe that was like a one-off and then sean archer was like this is he just this like tried it in the moment he was like this is son. cool and oh, then now he's like this is me now yeah. Like the scar on his chest, he carried it with him. I don't think anyone would do that, though. No one's ever done no, it. I no, don't, I don't know. It's weird, for sure. That's what stuck with you? Um, <laughs> That was, like, the major thing, for, <laughs> for sure. It, it's just... I think that that was the biggest thing, is just that it's meant to be such an earnest... <laughs> such an earnest thing and such a symbol of love within this family. And also it is a device that's used later when Sean Archer's wife, Mrs. Archer, I can't remember. Her Eve. Name. Eve. When Sean Archer as Nicholas Cage comes to the, the comes to see her and he needs to prove that it's actually him. And he does that. She's like, Oh my God, the face waterfall. Of course this is Sean. But it's just like, I don't know. It's goofy. doesn't work for me. But I, I kind of love it. I love that instead of him doing that and being her being like, yes, my love. He's like, you choked on a peanut. And the <laughs> dog, like, just like, and you kissed me anyway. Or whatever. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, my God, it was you. But like, there's like, I don't think they needed to do that. Yeah, they no. do really set it up that that's going to be the like moment of clarity for her. And then it's not really. No. It's not like, <laughs> oh, you touched my face. You are my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she doesn't know it's weird. Maybe she thinks every loving couple does that. Uh-huh. Could be. Probably. Um, yeah, that was the main thing that stuck with me. I mean, the other thing was just, we've, we kind of talked about it. It was just like the surgery scene. It's like it's every, pretty great. Everything about it is kind of BS. Like it's showing <laughs> the computer on the computer, the stages and how it's just all being perfectly executed. Very 90s stuff. I like when they suck the faces off with the little mold thing. Mm-hmm. It's it, cool. It's really good. The um, most sci-fi part of this movie that does not deserve to be called a sci-fi film. <laughs> yes. I like when you can see... Um, Nicholas Cage's reflection in the glasses. Yeah, I, I thought, thought that was, that was good. cool. That is that, also, really that is really good. Yeah, I, I really wanted more of that, but I think it's good that they didn't do more of it because I love that like goriness, like you know. And I think we were talking about it when you guys got to the house, but like in the fly, it's, okay, it's mm-hmm. a little gory, or like Dark Man. If you guys have seen Dark Man, that you know he gets burned yeah, like, with acid and stuff, the and body stuff. Yeah, like yeah. on body stuff. Yeah. But I think it was also fun because of the suction stuff. Like you don't need that nastiness. Yeah. Well, I they, think I think you said after I, I can't remember if it was at, with all of us or on the drive home, but like it would have been cool, even in the end when like yeah, John so Travolta starts cutting his face. I <laughs> wanted him to rip it off. Yeah, like that would have been really good. Oh yeah. This is like my action movies. Like what you guys have all talked about with like what you get out of action movies. That's what I get out of horror. So I'm like, cut your face off. <laughs> Throw yeah. it at him. You, he should have cut his face off and then put it over like Texas Chainsaw Leatherface style. Yeah. As he was dying with the harpoon and we like see 
his skin mask. So this, that was my version of it. <laughs> this, I thought this was real, really sick. And this is kind of tangenty, but um, there was a run of Batman comics where the Joker cut off his face and like left it somewhere, but then he went back and got it, use it like um, sort of like elastics to like put it back on. So like it's pulled back, but it's starting to like decompose. So it's like different colors than Love the rest that. of his face. And you can see the muscle underneath and it's just, and it's just like, he has extra ones to pull. So he has like a big wide uh, smile and like, there is a universe where this movie does that. <laughs> where like, where this is more of a horror movie. Where like Castro Troy doesn't get the surgery to become Sean Archer, but just takes Sean Archer's face and just like has it pulled onto but his doesn't face. Doesn't convince anyone. <laughs> <laughs> just like a sick fuck that has his face on it. <laughs> Maybe that's what the remake will be. Maybe it'll be a straight up horror. Trademark bad dad, bad dad. I love that. Um. Okay, I'm gonna take us somewhere serious. Then, yeah. Guys. Actually, um, before you do, can I? <laughs> <laughs> do one yeah of course yeah so is it silly uh, yeah <laughs> I, I was i was doing some some reading about this um and i thought that this was a really fun takeaway from the movie um i saw five taglines for this movie that I, I think they used in marketing in different places i don't know what you think is the best one but i'll read you <laughs> all of them really quick so the first one is in order to catch him, he must become him. That's good. Sounds good. Uh, the second one, to destroy your enemy, you must find him, face him, and then... Off him. <laughs> <laughs> no, become him. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, it doesn't seem like that's true very I feel like often. The f- I feel like the first one does accomplishes everything that second one does. We're going to yeah. get to graphic design More and officially. identity. Doing some <laughs> marketing copywriting stuff, yeah. <laughs> Uh, third one is, it's like looking in a mirror, only not. <laughs> Which, yes. That's my favorite one. I love that. <laughs> I think that's a line in the movie too. Yeah. Um, that's but that's just written so poorly that it, it works so well. <laughs> um, the, the second last one, only one will survive. Which is like kind of, that could fit a lot of movies. Uh, and in order to trap him, you must become him. They were really stuck on become him. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I like the getting him off one. <laughs> <laughs> the overly lengthy getting him off one. <laughs> it does fit the OG script. Yeah. All right. You have something serious? Yeah, you guys. I can't watch a dumb action movie and not try and find the sentimentality that is earnest. And what stuck me was the like, absolute fucking tragedy of Eve Archer's life. <laughs> like, yeah, 100%. I feel mm-hmm. really bad for her. And I actually think Joan Allen, who plays Eve Archer is the only one taking the role in a grounded way, like portraying, like I actually think that Eve is portrayed pretty realistically. Yeah. Um, And this pisses me off just for fun. Uh, the studio Wanted it to be a younger, hotter stepmother. But John Woo was like, no, Joan Allen is my girl. And she's playing Eve Archer. Which, like, wouldn't... I know the movie doesn't really succeed on all of its sentimental fronts, but, like, part of this is it's a family that's ripped apart by the death of a member of the family. So if it's a stepmother... Not that I'm saying stepmothers can't love their stepchildren, but I don't think it would have tracked. But, I like, I genuinely was moved by the story of Eve Archer and, like, was so 
happy when we found out she was like a doctor. I'm like, she's bad ass. Mm-hmm. Like she's, I don't know. Yeah. Just liked her. That's what stuck with me. I liked Eve. Also, she plays a really great mom in Pleasantville and she's a really compelling character in the crucible. And I teach both of those. So I think I just like Joan Allen. She brought really good mom energy to the yeah. movie, but also no nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. And no nonsense, but puts up with a lot of nonsense. But I love that moment where she like, he's trying to waterfall her and convince her. And she's like, I don't trust anyone. Like, I'm like, you're smart. You're the only smart one in this whole damn movie. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and like you said too, even after Sean as Nicolas Cage waterfalls her, she's not immediately like, oh, my husband, of course. Like she takes, there's still a bit of time before she fully commits and like she, she still like tests the blood and stuff. Also here's, now we're getting out of my sentimentality with just like, I like the character of Eve Archer and I think Joan Allen plays her well and there's not much more to say about that. You guys know that there's some symbolism around their blood types? No. How much do we know about blood types? Not a lot. (laughs) Next to none. Oh, or something. Okay, so Sean... Sean's blood type is O negative, which is universal donor to represent how he is like a person who serves and casters is AB positive, which is universal recipient to show that he is someone who doesn't give, but only takes. Whoa. Whoa. And, and according to this, you know how they have the little like beep boop screens with like all their blood information. Apparently caster also has diabetes. (laughs) Based on (laughs) his... (laughs) Shit. <laughs> Based on the readings of that. <laughs> Just a little Easter egg for us all there. Hmm. I I don't know. This wouldn't make sense that I'm just like, could Sean just have eaten a bunch of ice cream, but it is Sean's body? His insides are diabetic, not his outside. Yeah, it's, it's just... <laughs> they fixed him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause yeah, they only swap faces. Correct. Caster's and body went with him, yeah. but with John Travolta's face. Yes. And right. abs and body hair and scars. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like another moment where somebody was like, guys, got a cool idea with blood types. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's serious movie stuff. But why does the scar leave if he's like, dog, put it back? Well, because he. He says he doesn't need it anymore. But he says that to the DC doctor who he never said anything about the scar to. <laughs> and the guy's just like, okay, we weren't going to put that back anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's because he had gone through this huge experience. And through this, he had processed the hurt from his son dying and so he was like i don't need to carry this anymore no, no, but that's in the end but then yeah. in the beginning when he's going through it he says something about the scar he wants to put back on because he needs he wants that to make sure it's but why would it be leaving if they're just switching faces because they're not switching bodies they're like augmenting bodies to get it to look exactly like the other one the only thing they actually trade is the face i think yeah because they remember they were doing all the, like the late. <laughs> all after, I have to say is Jake, you'd get an A plus in my English class. Oh, good. Very smart. I always fail. <laughs> I feel like you would push my buttons. You'd be like, okay, but why? Yeah, I would ask why a lot. It's okay. 
okay. I feel like I I feel like I'd also do really bad because I'm just like, oh, you just eat a bunch of ice cream and not give insulin. <laughs> and he, and this he's is what fucked. would happen. You you three are my students and you're all friends. Danielle's pushing my buttons. You're egging her on, and Jake's being the like teacher's pet. Yeah, I'm like, guys, I'm trying to watch. Yeah, you're like, I have something really smart to say. Actually, <laughs> we're like this fucking guy. <laughs> I throw an eraser at his head. <laughs> Okay, uh, Danielle, you have some things to say? Some rants to go on? Danielle's rant corner? All right, well, I'll just get this one out of the way. My rant. I felt annoyed when Nicolas Cage is like, hey, Janie. And he didn't remember her name was Jamie. Mm -hmm. I got annoyed because I'm like, that always happens. Like, no one ever knows anyone's name anymore. That happens to me and Robin all the time. No one knows who we are. Do they mix you up? They don't, sometimes they actually have mixed us up. And I'm like, she looks completely different than me. Robin is your business partner for the listener. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, Teacher's pet. <laughs> yeah. But like, I don't know. We always talk about this. No one remembers anyone's names. Nothing. Okay. Well, how come John Travolta knew so much about Nicolas Cage? Nicolas Cage is just like, I'm going to be him. And then they expect you to know everything. Of, like, how did he know so much about him? Well, but he didn't remember the Sean Archer anything. has been tracking him for years. He's trying to catch him. And meanwhile, Castro Troy is just go, doing terrorism. You know, he's I just mean, living his life. But he was pretty gawky. To be fair, <laughs> to like side with you a little bit, Danielle, he does say something really, really gross to Sean before they swap faces about like, how's your daughter? Isn't she ripe now or whatever? So he does know he, he that knows he has a daughter. Yeah. Just doesn't care what her name is. Well, I guess that's because they were general misogyny and former ex-lovers. And he like knew <laughs> the neighborhood and the wife. Like he recognized her. I don't think he did. No. Because he's like driving and then he like realizes, oh, there's a woman looking for her husband. That must be the house. And he like backtracks. Like he's kind of like, oh, where's the house? This seems far fetched, but another thing he could have done was get this information from the people before he lit them on fire. That's a good point. Cause he still fucks up her name. Yeah. He did like some cramming. Gotcha. Whereas so he's not Sean Archer has been living this, you know, uh, this I is, bet yeah, that's the, the difference between a s studious person and a, I'm just going to get it all at once here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also with the ripe thing, like I didn't like all the peach stuff. No, that didn't. That stuck with me in a bad way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was scary. Lots that of stuff. That's a good way to make Castor Troy really deplorable and gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, this kind of explains why. Because now I'm like, well, okay, I don't have to be so mad about that. He did cram his studies. He did, but still, people need to get better at knowing people's names. Great. And why is there a pillow that says Jamie? So she knows it's her pillow. Cross-stitch, maybe. Pillow? <laughs> Never seen one. That's a, I feel like that's a grandma present, you know? Pretty glam for a grandma present. I think that makes it extra unforgivable that he didn't know the daughter's name. It was right there. Well, he, looked, he was like, oh, no. Sorry, well, Jamie. Like, <laughs> too confident. Hmm. It was very interesting. Um, What else did I have? Oh, this isn't, uh, I just wanted to bring up, this is what's going to stick with me. Because when Nicolas Cage is 
or sorry, when John Travolta is walking down the aisle of the church at the end. And <laughs> I used to do this to my no-no all the time. <laughs> and I, because he used to think I was like such a comedian. And <laughs> whenever, like we went to Catholic church and stuff, I'm not Catholic, but you know, grew up Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> the Italians and uh, I was used to like mock the like what do you call those like a priest Cru sermon or whatever wait what <laughs> <laughs> I used to mock the crucifixion <laughs> but he goes like oh Santa Maria <laughs> he's like walking around and I was like that is so funny like that ruled yeah, and I you used to do that. Yeah, I used to do that, and it used to get a laugh a hundred percent of the time. Just from your no-no, or from everybody? My no-no thought it was awesome. Okay. Yeah, my no-no was like, "What are you gonna go to hell?" Like you know, <laughs> and like just be mad. But yeah, it got a laugh all the time. That's so really I love it. I also think of you as a comedian. I think you're one of the funniest people I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Hundred percent. Uh, that's, I, the reason I said the crucifixion is because when he does the like, ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm going to say this once again. If you two were students in my class, you would be like riling each other up so badly because you'd start doing that like domino, omino stuff and then you'd start doing that too. <laughs> and you'd both think you were real funny. Yeah. I feel like if we, if you had also sat in the back row of that class in first year, we would have just gassed each other up and been very disruptive. I think you would have had to both realize that you were silly billies and then there would have been no stopping it. <laughs> Maybe we'd be at yucky yucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Nine o'clock? Jake know. and I would just be the plebs in the back. Being like, hey, we date them. <laughs> Forgot your phone. Uh-huh. Okay, let's talk about dads. Kick it into daddy mode. Daniel, want to start us with our dad rant? <laughs> yeah. So I have that like John Travolta is a dad with untreated PTSD. 100%. Not even something you can argue with. He's just, that's him. And I just want to say that Nicolas Cage is like very helpful Cool, and he's present when he joins the fam. This is controversial. <laughs> I like this. Yeah, I I don't know. I you know I'll just say I think he protected the daughter, even though he's a little creep. Um, he connected with her. It seemed like more than John Travolta did. Um, even though JT was a, a present person. Uh, or sorry. Uh more sound of mind is that a good way to put it he 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 wasn't present and then when Nicolas Cage comes in he's like super present he even the guy the that 70s show guy that was like gonna rape her hmm. you know he was like your dad's not even around or whatever he says like who cares yeah, he won't notice mm -hmm. yeah and yeah. then Nicolas Cage as John Travolta is like what the hell do you mean or I guess it would be vice versa as John Travolta. Yeah, I, I anyway. really agree with you because obviously there's some like gross ethical stuff with the fact that Sean Archer, when he is Caster Troy, has sex with Eve Archer and she doesn't know, like he can't consent to that. She's having sex with someone she doesn't realize she's having sex with. But if we put that to the side and acknowledge that that's gross, um, 
he's present with her as a husband. Like when he, she comes home and he's got all these candles. She's like, what is this? As if Sean hasn't paid any attention to them as like people who are in a relationship forever. Seems like he's good with the foreplay. Yeah. Like, here's a little foot massage, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think in some ways, Caster Troy coming in and playing dad and playing husband is actually the thing that helps the family. Yeah. I I, I love that we're on the same page as, as this. Because, yeah, like, I mean, Sean Archer is, he's just in a veritably unhealthy place. Like, he he doesn't appear to be dealing with his grief well at all the relation his relationship with his wife Eve and Jamie that those dynamics are in the piss and it is only once he's caught slash killed Castro Troy at the beginning of the film that he's actually willing to start working on his grief that's when he's like I'll do all the things we talked about I'll go to therapy I'll mm-hmm. put in for the desk job like that it's only that's the only thing that it would take for him to actually make his family a priority again instead he's focusing all his time and energy into Castro Troy and catching him or killing him so he's keeping his family on hold and at a distance after like after one of the worst tragedies that can happen to a family like he's kind of just left them in the dust while he is on this one man crusade to catch caster troy so yeah like to what you're saying i think i think that there's two things that needed to happen to bring happiness back to the archer family which was one that the man who killed his son had to bring new and seemingly more positive dynamics into the family home and two that he had to that he had to kill the man who killed his son those were the two things that needed to happen for the archer family to have a, a happy ending that we get at the end and both of those th- to have both of those things is really fucked he also needed a replacement son <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Backup boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I think the, um, it, it's important to note that when Castro Troy was doing all these things that were kind of positive to the family, like paying attention to them, finally, it was all coming from a place of revenge. Like it was, he wasn't doing it to make the wife happy or whatever. Like he was doing it to be a creep to, yeah. to Sean Archer and like to yeah. hurt him more emotionally. Um, I think he unintentionally connected with the daughter and I think that was supposed to highlight how this this daughter had been so neglected and like led astray that she's connecting with the worst person John Woo could think of, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think they're they're trying to say like, I, I don't think they're trying to dwell on this too much, but that sort of like, who is this daughter now sort of a thing if if like this really good guy he's not connecting with his daughter, but this really bad guy is. Mm. I think they're like, this daughter's in trouble, you know? (laughs) Yeah. For that eye makeup. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, so the thing I had to say about, like, Sean, because obviously this movie is all about dads, actually, because his whole journey is because his son is dead. There is no movie without him being in grief over his son being dead, but the thing that's really shitty about it is he lets that take on his whole identity like this quest for revenge this quest for like justice for his son and in that process he leaves behind his wife and his daughter who are also experiencing their own grief and so he's really failing as a father but he thinks he's succeeding because he thinks getting justice for his son's killer is being a good dad yeah and it's absolutely not and i I don't think and i think the film 
in the end thinks that too. Because once Caster Troy is dead, now he can be a good dad again. And so it doesn't really dig into how, well, no, he didn't make himself or his family a priority as they're going through this shared grief. And I think in real life, killing the man who killed your son might make you realize, oh, I have unresolved grief and this didn't fix it. (laughs) But face off, uh, that's not their journey. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think a testament to something you said earlier, Kylie, with Joan Allen being just the, the MVP of this movie really is that that scene after they've got Castro Troy at the beginning of the film. And then Mm. he comes home and says, Eve, I got him. And Eve breaks down and runs to Sean and they embrace. I don't think that that's because he killed or caught Castro Troy. I think it's because she can finally maybe get her husband back and they can get their family back to a place before their son was killed. And that's heartbreaking. It's just him on his vengeance trail. The rest of the family just wants behind, yeah. him to be I mean, present. she's being doctor over here. She doesn't have time to fall apart. And she says something when they're like, you kind of think, oh, maybe they'll be intimate, like when they're in their bedroom or whatever. And she's like hugging him and says something about like, it's, it's behind us. Like you can't do anything about, I can't remember what she says, mm-hmm. but I was like, yeah, I think that's exactly what you're saying, Elliot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, you just get the sense, yeah, in that scene where Sean's struggling to let this go, even though he's being asked to <laughs> face off with, uh, with Castro Troy, that Sean Archer, like, this has been such a big part of his identity and his life and what drives him and what he does day in and day out that I think there's a fear in him. This is this is projecting a lot into this movie. <laughs> but I think you could read that there is this fear in him of losing that and him feeling a bit lost because now he has to confront and deal with his grief and his family and what does that look like moving forward. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's putting a lot into this movie for because it, it does stay relatively surface level most of yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, can we let talking about dads go without talking about the backup boy? <laughs> no. No, got to talk about oh, the backup boy. Who has some things to say about the backup boy? <laughs> well, I want to start off by just saying that Jake and I talked about backup boy earlier. <laughs> Not in a backup boy way, but Sasha, like the uh, the Nicolas Cage's lover, the mother of the backup boy, <laughs> like she didn't even tell him that he was a father. So, bad dad. Yeah, he's. Well, she thinks he's going to be a bad dad, or but is it just because he hasn't been around? Like, hasn't he been in another country? Yeah, but seemingly he has had all these ties to everyone still. So, like, why not just figure out <laughs> a way to tell him so that almost, kid's old? Almost by what you were saying earlier about how, like, Caster Troy as Sean Archer makes these connections. And I think, Jake, your point that, like, they're all coming from a nefarious place. So they're, they happen even if they are gross. Um, It's not until it's Sean Archer as Caster that Sasha feels she can tell him. Mm -hmm. Because he's the good dad. Right? So it's like that good dad energy is coming out and she feels like she can tell him. Hmm. But how good did she know he was? 
Because all the only <laughs> like she punches him out because he's on drugs. He wakes he won't up. Sleep with her. Tr- that's true. And all, but all he says is, "Good looking kid." <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and then Michael, yeah, like, Michael, Michael, stop <laughs> you scaring him. It's like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's all that ha- you know. Like, I don't know. Is that en- enough? She could read that good dad aura. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he just needed to be like one degree not Caster Troy, yeah. and then she was like, "That's enough." You are my son's father. Well, and I think probably what sealed the deal is that heading into that huge gunfight that erupts is that he grabs the boy immediately and is like trying to protect him and like get him through everything really Does quickly. Does she tell him after that? No. No. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I feel like Castro Troy wouldn't do that, even if he knew that was his son. No, he's out there killing boys. Oh, yeah. He'd leave Sasha and bonus boy in the dust like there's no so this was an interesting again you guys had all seen this movie i had not in that opening scene i actually thought that nicholas or like caster felt bad about killing michael but no yeah it might have been the plink music that made me think like oh he feels he feels bad that he killed his son and so he's gonna not kill him it honestly doesn't track for me why he doesn't just be like pow like I know, he had a sniper rifle set up. Like They really set Caster up as this character who has no moral compass and the only person, the only thing that matters to him is sex and a little bit, uh, he likes his brother a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's he why, only brought one bullet. He was like, oh, frick. <laughs> that's why they, they do know their the guns. Original scene, <laughs> yeah. The original script. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I also, when I was, a, that opening scene when I was a kid, and rewatching it now, it doesn't seem like he's that far away. Like it feels like he's like in the middle of a field setting up his sniper rifle. Right, like by yeah. a carousel. And nobody notices. He's yeah. between two ferns. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's good. Literally. He really was, I think. Yeah. No, you're right. Cause I, I felt that too. Like I've always kind of felt that since I started watching Face Off, that there's that moment it feels kind of like remorse. But later on when he's John, there's no remorse. When he's John Travolta, he's just like, I didn't, like, I wasn't trying to kill your kid. I was trying to kill you. Or he's so, like, it definitely so. did. I'm not out here trying to kill children, but he doesn't really seem particularly mad about it. Yeah. Maybe this is like his origin story as a villain is like, he accidentally kills his kid and it like really tears him up inside. And then it, he just turns total dark side because he's like, this is who I am now. Yeah. And then that's six years from opening <laughs> scene to the rest of the movie. That's him really becoming the caster Troy that's like, I love killing stuff. I think you're right. Yeah. I've killed a boy. Unstoppable. We all do think it's not cool, though, that part of the happy resolution is that he gets a new son that <laughs> looks very much like his other son. And everybody's just like, cool. And he, yeah. And he doesn't yeah. like check with his wife or daughter about if they yeah. want a little boy. It's like when you accidentally bring a little kitten home. For your, <laughs> my dad. My dad did do that. Bad dad, for the record. <laughs> um, but like he did do that. He brought like a kitten home, and my mom was just like, "What the hell are you doing?" But at the time, like you know, you're like, oh, the kids, like you know, Jamie's there. She needs this kitten. Um, that's how it felt. Like it was like. Yeah. 
can we keep it? But yeah, they can't. Like, mm-hmm. what are Eve and Jamie going to do? Like, no, we want to process the loss of our brother and son. <laughs> and we just got you back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you are you going to go to work tomorrow? Because, like, what's going on here? And you can't say no to this little boy who's now orphaned. And, like, may or may not be the child of incest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I like that, too, because it's that whole thing is kind of unspoken. Like after the kid runs away with Jamie, John Travolta is just like, like he mouths, is that okay? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, that last scene is so um, soft focus. I just read it as a dream. I think he's. Yeah. Yeah. It is very dreamlike. Yeah, totally. Because knowing Sean Archer's past, like he's not a real by the books guy. I feel like he just took that kid and didn't sign a single form. And they just have that boy now. They really should have kicked over <laughs> yeah. the rainbow on for the credits. <laughs> Rock and roll version. Oh, yeah, that would be good. I was wondering about that, too, though. Like, I'm like, what kind of like, the legality of this? Yeah, I don't think they would allow him to have it. Like his arch enemy that he like had a hand and well, he killed. You know, it's like <laughs> he's just going to say it is Michael. That kid's getting a name change. Yeah, I think so. And a haircut. You know, that would, I mean, it's not realistic, but I mean, we're talking about face off. No, I totally think he took that kid. (laughs) He took that boy and he didn't sign for him. And I think the moral of that story is (laughs) he's going to continue to be a bad dad because clearly he cares not a lick about his wife or his daughter's thoughts or feelings. No, he's like, my daughter wears less makeup now and she seems happy. She she did have, her face waterfall is very strange. It's all closed fingers and it's just like. More of a face. Um, yeah, it I was, was going to say waterfall, but that's the word. <laughs> swipe. Face swipe. That, that, that face swipe. Yes. Um, <laughs> Jamie knows swiping. In <laughs> my favorite deleted scene that they really should have left in, um, Jamie says, do you think dad will ever be dad again? And Eve says, I hope so, honey. And I think when he brings, I don't even know uh, backup boy's real name. Adam. Adam. When he brings Adam, oh, this is some biblical shit, you guys. Yeah. 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 The first boy. Yeah. When he brings. But the second boy. <laughs> boy. When they restart their Eden um, and he brings Adam into the house, I think the answer is yes, dad is dad again. Sean oh, Archer is just as fuck. he was before. His oh, wife's no. name's Eve. Yeah. I just realized oh. that too. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Yuck. There's a lot of incest. Yes, that is. Hmm. I think and, we got to check these writers out. <laughs> instead of an apple, is it a peach? No. Oh. Ew. Ew. <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hadn't thought about that till this very moment. We just need some Daniel comedy in the church aisles right now to <laughs> cleanse our palates. <laughs> so do you guys think uh, he went to therapy? No. You know that like uh, meme of like men will really do this before they go to therapy. Men will really bring a backup boy home for their dead son then go to therapy. Yeah. I literally think that we take the face of their enemy. before. I I literally think that Sean just brought, he brought that boy home and that's the bandaid for everything. I feel like they got, they got Michael back. (laughs) So they're good. Well, I think I mean, that deleted scene 
if uh, if they would have had that alternate ending where they, you know, they they peel back the band aid and it's not healed underneath. I think that that gives you a little. This hint is more A plus content here, Jake. Yeah, Sean Archer, not okay. Even though maybe on the surface he's projecting okay. On the surface, he looks calm and ready. Mom's spaghetti. There's something I was gonna say, but I lost. Sorry, sorry. Um, there's. I was just thinking more about deleted scenes and the scene where John Travolta goes into um, Michael's room and is crying. You think they should have left that in? Um, I think it was super funny. Yeah. So yes, one shot, John. One yeah. take. <laughs> he was very emotional in it. Um, but I was just thinking that little boy's room is ready for him. Oh yeah, they left. Oh, this is what I was gonna say. It's been six years since Michael died. Adam's probably six. Reincarnation. Ooh. Yeah. Probably is Michael. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That apple didn't fall too far from the tree. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to say, though, that deleted scene with him crying in the bedroom, I think that the perfect place to put that scene, if they were to include it, is not before he goes and does the surgery. I think it would be as a cutaway scene when he's like, remember, I, I spent the night before I left in Mike's room, and then we cut to it. <laughs> so we had no cuts. <laughs> oh, Smash cut. Yeah. Like, in, I mean, sometimes they do that in, like, funny shows, like TV shows. They'll show, like, a quick, like, woo. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really good. But I think John we thought back. that was, like, really good, sincere acting. We took it a different way. Love it. In a movie rife with dad stuff, I think that that's the big takeaway is that Sean Archer, not a great dad. And men should go to therapy, especially if their sons got shot in front of them by their mortal enemy. Yeah. Through their own chest. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Don't get a backup boy that looks like the first boy. He's healed. He he didn't ask for that scar back. He's healed. Okay, <laughs> let's move to the final question. What will you carry with you from this viewing of Face Off? This feels like a bit of a womp womp moment, but mine's the face waterfall. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life to Elliot's uh, dismay because he hates when people touch his face. It's okay because that's what I have also put. <laughs> <laughs> we got a new love language and it's the face waterfall. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to carry the face waterfall and just, especially now after unpacking all of this, just like how truly fucked the Archer house is. <laughs> it is just a mess. But pretty fun movie. What are you going to carry with you, Daniel? Um, for me, it's just that feeling of the, the humor the whole time. But that, I mean, how can you forget the face waterfall? <laughs> I mean, yeah. And uh, I mean, now that we've deep dived, dove, deep dive, like on both. Yeah. We've uh, dove and deep dived. Dove. Um, I, I will carry the uh, Archer household with me. But so I think those are good, but definitely just the humor. That, uh, that's what I love. Yeah. I think for me, you can't forget the face waterfall. It's like so perfect and emblematic of this movie. And I think. There's a few other visuals that I think I would carry with me thinking about this is there's a lot of sort of like memeable shots 
mostly of Nicolas Cage in this movie. And you see them outside of the context of this movie all the time where it's uh, the one is when he's uh, Nicolas Cage is it's his face, but it's Sean Archer inside and he's he's on mysterious drug and he does that sort of like smile, crazy smile. And then he does like amps (laughs) it up again uh, when he turns around. So that one's that one's big. And uh, I think the the shrug at the in in the airplane scene at the beginning where he like shoots that FBI agent while hanging out of an airplane that is about to take off and he's just so unfazed and just does the like the Jordan shrug where he's like well that's me <laughs> I think that's a big one <laughs> big one this was fun this was really great I'm glad that we got to watch it together like I said earlier I really love watching these kinds of movies with you guys I look forward to watching more. I look forward to making Kylie watch all the Mission Impossible movies. I'll only do it if it's uh, with other people who will have fun. And Elliot's not like, like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we have fun. (laughs) We We do have fun. But thanks to the both of you for watching the movies, picking the movie. Making us amazing pizza. Yeah, that's. uh, You're our favorite pizza place. Truly. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so thank much. You. Um, thank you for typing and printing your notes. <laughs> it's uh, so adorable and so great. This was lovely. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday of our regular show. Until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram or threads at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. Usernames will be in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That's going to do it for these backup boys this week. So until next time. I'm Kylie and my dad's dead. I'm Elliot. My dad's a deadbeat. But remember. Not all dads have to be bad. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.